A vegan just went cannibalistic. And this wasn't a, oh my God, we got stranded on a desert island. How are we gonna eat situation? Nope. Instead, it happened in a parking garage with the COO of Beyond Meat. His name's Doug Ramsey. And according to a police report from Fayetteville, Arkansas, he and another man got into a fight in a parking garage after a football game. The other guy appears to have accidentally bumped Ramsey's front tire with his Subaru. So Ramsey responds like we all would. He gets out of his car and he punches through the back windshield of the Subaru. Through the windshield. Was this guy powered by plant-based protein or meth? And so then the other driver gets out of his car, Ramsey pulls the man toward him and just starts punching him, which would have already been crazy enough, but then he leans in and bites the tip of the guy's nose off, all while making threats to kill him. With the police quickly arriving afterward and arresting Ramsey, booking him into the county jail. He's currently facing charges of third degree battery and terroristic threats. But man, you thought you were hangry. Also, hey, before we get too far, welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show, you beautiful bastard. Unless you're new to my channel, to which I would say, hey, make sure you're subscribed because I'm splitting $10,000 across 10 lucky subscribe beautiful bastards this month. And whether you're subbed or not, this is your friendly reminder that you only have six days left to get in on this brand new beautifulbastard.com drop. You got the keep going tie-dyes, the exclusive bringer of Sadness World tour gear, ghouls just want to have fun, the beautiful bastard monkey, and finally this slew of awesome posters which definitely jump in on. Some of them are incredibly low on stock now. Get any and all while you can. Y'all, it's hard to have a large penis. So I've been told. So many just suffer in silence. But the reason I mention this is because of New York City weatherman Eric Adame, which is wild because he's had a very successful career as a meteorologist, even being nominated for two Emmys. So why did he get fired? Well, it turns out Eric had a side gig appearing on an adult website called Large Penis Support Group in which he performed what's been described as consensual content for other men. The anonymous user taking nude screenshots of Eric from a video and sending them to his employer at Spectrum and even to his mother. But the result being that Eric got fired. And so now Eric has filed a lawsuit against the parent company of the site to identify the person who leaked his picture and cost him his career. But I'm also putting out a statement on his Instagram saying, I secretly appeared on an adult cam website. I acted out my compulsive behaviors while at home by performing on camera for other men. It was 100% consensual on both of our parts. I wasn't paid for this and it was absurd of me to think I could keep this private. Nonetheless, my employer found out and I was suspended and then terminated. He then apologizes to those impacted, his employers at Spectrum, his coworkers, his audience, his family and friends, apologizing for any embarrassment, saying you expected and deserve better from me, saying as a public figure, I recognize that I have certain responsibilities that come along with the privileges that I have enjoyed. But Eric also drawing a Line saying, let me be clear. I don't apologize for being openly gay or sex positive. Those are gifts and I have no shame about them. And as far as future employers, he asks, please judge me on the hundreds and thousands of hours of television that I am so proud of and that my employers have always commended me for, not the couple of minutes of salacious video. And my response to this is, Eric, you have nothing to apologize for. You are literally a revenge porn victim. Fuck the person that screenshot this and sent this to your job and your parents. Fuck New York One for firing you. It makes you wonder just how many of those New York One motherfuckers have secrets in their closets. Whatever this weatherman or you or anyone in this world does in their own private life with other consenting adults is completely separate from their work. New York One is further punishing and piling on the victim in this story, period. YouTube just dropped the biggest game-changing bomb. YouTube will start sharing revenue with partners for shorts. <laughs> That's what I've been waiting for. It's a 45% ad split to creators, even if you use copywritten music. Now for some details we already know, the ads for shorts are going to be different. Most notably, the ads will not actually play on your content, but rather in between content. And so the way people will get paid out is you take the number of views that YouTube got from shorts, you then divide by however many of those views were yours, and that equals the percentage of money that you will get out of the bulk of YouTube revenue. So let's say you accounted for 1% of shorts views in America. That's gonna be very unlikely. If the amount of money they were sharing with YouTubers was $500 million, 
this 5 million would be yours. Also in an attempt to pull in more short form creators, if you're not already a member of the partner program, but you make shorts content, as long as you have 1000 subscribers and get 10 million shorts views over 90 days, you'll now be able to join the partner program without having to make long form content. But also there's big news for long form creators because YouTubers will soon be able to play popular songs in their content. And you'll be able to do that by licensing the song and entering in some sort of revenue split model with the people putting out the music. And while I don't know how people are gonna react to this news, there is no way to undersell how big of a deal this is. Not only for creators on this platform, but also does it light a fire under competitors? TikTok had explosive growth, had the head start on short form content, but the way they share money with their top creators is garbage. And hopefully this either puts the fear of God or dents their numbers enough to make them go, oh yeah, maybe we should share some more with the creators that are making us relevant. But also even with how exciting this news is, I didn't wanna just put on my pom poms and be like, yay YouTube. Or there have been some critiques and there felt like there were some details that were being glossed over. So following this announcement, I reached out to YouTube creator liaison Renee Ritchie to try and get some answers. I don't want this interview to just be backpat, so I'm gonna go straight into one critique that I wish that uh, you can speak on. Uh, I saw someone respond to my tweet announcing this news, saying, what does it say about the state of the YouTube economy that people are cheering for 45%, with 55%, of course, having been the, the standard uh, for the YPP. So I was hoping you could speak to that. Yeah, I mean, that was the first thing my eyes locked into as well as a creator. Um, but when you, when you stand back and look at it, sorry, when you step back and look at it, uh, we have different revenue sharing models for the different forms of funding. Like fan funding is 70%, long form has been 55%, and shorts is functionally different than long form. There's no specific ads on specific videos. It's inserted into the feed. So there might be several videos, then an ad, and then all of that money is pooled together. So your video doesn't have to have an ad immediately before or after it. You just have to be in the pool, and then you get revenue based on those views. And also, we're going to be ramping up everything, all the partner program benefits. We're investing hugely in shorts as an ecosystem. And we wanted to make it sustainable, not just make huge promises and then not deliver. And this amount lets us create all the infrastructure and invest in the product to make shorts a sustainable career for creators. And for the, the money. Right now, the way that money is split for the shorts, is it going to be based off of region, right? Because obviously each region, there is a different ad rate. So does that mean uh, that there's always a, an equation where it's like, this is the number of views that YouTube shorts got in all of America for this month. And then what goes into the split, I guess, first then? Uh, because I know that there is a big deal with music licensing. So before the 45% happens, does licensing get paid out before that? Or is that just part of your YouTube's 55%? Yeah, so music licensing is taken care of right away. So that makes it super simple. You don't have to worry about any complexities there. You just make your video. We wanted people to have the option of just making videos and not have to do the internal analysis all the time about whether I should use music or not. So that's taken care of. And then per region, all of that is pooled together. And based on your views per region, you get that payout. So I guess, though, to, to clarify, let's say there's a billion dollars, right? A billion dollars yes. uh, as far as the pot. Does licensing get paid out first before we get to the equation of 45-55%? Yes, that's my understanding that licensing comes out first and then from the rest of that pot, the, the money gets paid out to creators. Do we have any idea what the, the licensing dollars are going to look like? Because it sounds then like it's not a 45% split. I don't think we know yet. I think a lot of that is in negotiation with the music companies but I think it will be a significant portion of revenue for the creators. But we think, but it will be less than 45% if we're considering like the amount of money of ad sales. Yeah, it will be after the licensing is paid off, the 45% of the remaining revenue will go to creators. Okay.
Okay. That's that's helpful. So as you can tell, I wasn't the happiest with that answer. It feels kind of misleading to me to say that uh, YouTube creators are getting 45% ad split when in fact we're getting 45% after music companies take their cut. Especially because it doesn't matter if you're using music or not in those shorts. The music company is getting their cut before you get yours. But I also don't want to completely shit on it because right now the dollars also just don't exist. I don't know. I'm still excited, but I, I have my reservations. We will see how this plays out. And of course, I'd love to know your thoughts on this. But from that, I want to take a second to thank the fantastic sponsor of today's show, Ridge. You know, I've had a Ridge wallet before they even became a sponsor. I love that Ridge is a minimalist front pocket wallet that's slim, RFID blocking, and comes with a lifetime guarantee. Y'all, most men's wallets are stupid bulky. People pack those things with so much useless shit. It's just not practical for the modern man or woman, and Ridge helps you carry less, but always has what you need. I just love that awesome, sleek design. It's got two metal plates bound together by a durable elastic band, which makes it so easy to get out what you want and simple to put in something new. And their key case is sleek, durable, and takes the jingle out of the keyring experience. And get this, with every dollar spent on the website before September 30th, you'll be entered to win a brand new upgraded Ford Bronco or $75,000 if you prefer cash. And the winner will be announced in October. So head on over to ridge.com slash DeFranco and make sure you use code DeFranco to get 10% off site-wide. Senator Lindsey Graham confirmed today that he is a lying fuckhead. The point I'm trying to make is I've been consistent. I think states should decide the issue of marriage and states should decide the issue of abortion. Uh, this is not a state's rights issue. This is a human right issue. Just unapologetic hypocrisy on display, strategy over truth. And so with the truth of the situation now so obviously on display, politicians like Lindsey Graham just fully taking off the mask, it'll be interesting to see if pro-choice moderates go, oh, it was never about states' rights. It was a first step to get their foot in the door until they could put through a national ban. The only real question is, will they come to that realization before or after the midterms? Is it non Syed innocent? That's a question so many people People, including myself, have been asking since the release of the Serial Podcast back in 2014. And we're talking about this now eight years later because a judge just vacated his conviction. So oversimplified summary if you're unfamiliar. Syed was previously convicted for the 1999 murder of his high school girlfriend, Heyman Lee, and he has spent over two decades behind bars serving a life sentence as a result. He has maintained his innocence all this time. There have been attempts to appeal. And why we're seeing what we're seeing today, I mean, a lot of the credit has to go to Serial. For the first season, which put this on the national radar, focused on the case and raised a lot of questions about how prosecutors handled everything, including the evidence that they used. Or this podcast was super huge and started so many conversations with people not only just consuming this. I mean, this was so big. You even had people like Kim Kardashian not only following aspects of the case, but still posting about it online years later. You know, last week we were talking about true crime, how big it's gotten. This specifically was a pretty big cultural touchstone for that kind of media. And specifically here, it also led to a lot of people questioning Syed's conviction. And connected to that, last week, prosecutors in Baltimore said in a motion that after a nearly year-old investigation by the state and defense, the parties uncovered Brady violations and new information all concerning the possible involvement of two alternative suspects. And adding that the parties have identified significant reliability issues regarding the most critical pieces of evidence at trial. Though notably adding that the state is by no means asserting Syed's innocence, but for various reasons, the state no longer has confidence in the integrity of the conviction. And with that, arguing that it's in the best interest of justice and fairness to vacate the conviction and at minimum afford him the chance of a new trial. Now, as far as these two other suspects, they remain unnamed currently, but according to the motion, they were known persons at the time of the investigation of the case and not properly ruled out. And they could be suspects either individually or potentially together. Or we know in the reinvestigation new information was learned suggesting a motive to commit the crime, with one of the suspects allegedly threatening to kill Lee in the presence of someone else, saying that he would make her disappear, he would kill her. With prosecutors also adding, considering the totality of evidence now available, the information about an alternative suspect would have been helpful to the defense because it would have helped substantiate an alternative suspect defense that was consistent with the defense's strategy at trial, and further claiming that the evidence used against Syed was not overwhelming and was largely circumstantial. Or one of the largest points of contention being that cell phone data that was used against him was used even though a note on those records said that it would not be considered 
good, reliable information for location. I also want to be upfront with you. There is a lot more in this motion, but I don't have time to do a 12 episode podcast to cover it all. But the main thing here is that the judge vacated the conviction and found that prosecutors had failed to overturn evidence that could have helped him at trial and discovered new evidence that could have changed the outcome of the case. So now prosecutors have 30 days to either go for a new trial or drop the charges. And until then, Syed will be under home detention. While we wait to see what will happen, prosecutors are reportedly awaiting DNA evidence that could help make their decision as to whether or not to move forward with another trial. We've also seen tons of responses from those involved. Syed's lawyer saying he can't believe it's real. Today is both joyful and incredibly overwhelming. Becky Feldman, a Baltimore prosecutor, spoke to the fact the investigation, quote, acknowledged justice had been denied to Miss Lee and her family by not assuring the correct assailant was brought to justice. And as for Lee's family, her brother Young said that he felt blindsided by the decision to vacate the conviction and saying, this is not a podcast for me. This is real life. Every day when I think it's over, it always comes back. It's killing me. With that, also noting his respect for the criminal justice system. And of course, while we wait to see what happens next, I'd love to know your thoughts on this. But that's where that story and today's show ends. Thank you for watching. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you if you jump in on the beautifulbastard.com sale. Also, for more news you need to know today, I got you here and in those links down below. But as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you tomorrow.